0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you
1: So on the average week, I'm, I'm travelling. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere else. Uh, so, so far this year, I, I started at uh, Surf Coast, and um, I've been at a uh, bunch of other churches since. I do live locally, though. I live up um, near Geelong. And therefore, last year, Pastor Andrew Grills, who oversees our Geelong church, asked me if I'd consider becoming a pastor at his church. And I felt this was a bit of a, a strange ask at first, because I'm not there on the average week. But as we talked about what it might mean and how I might serve, I thought, yeah, this is something I could probably do. And he said, look, what I need you to do is fill out an application form he said, well, we're quite keen to have you. We've already got the passes in agreement, but we sort of got to fulfil all righteousness. We've got to tick this box and have the have the application form filled out and sitting there. He said, just, you know, smash your way through it. Don't worry about it, but but we need to do this. Well, what he failed to mention is just how long <laughs> and detailed the application form is. And as I started working through it, I thought this is not something that you can just sort of you know, knock off without thinking. And there was one particular question that I really wasn't sure how to answer. It was this. What do you think is the biggest problem facing the Christian church today? What do you think is the biggest problem facing the Christian church today? Just just one? I love the church, don't get me wrong, but I just couldn't think, well, what do you say to that? If you're a visitor today, I wonder what you would say. We're not talking about this particular church, but church in general. Well, studies have been done on this and some people think it's about the church's hypocrisy throughout the ages, particularly in recent decades with say the, the Wood Royal Commission exposing things that are just not right for the church. Maybe it's something else. If, if you're a Christian, do you think that the church needs to preach the gospel more or less <laughs> and, and get, a, get around doing good works in our world today? What would you say is the biggest problem facing the Christian church today? Well, I wish I had worked on this passage before I answered that question. Because I think the passage that Louis just read out, it seems pretty straightforward, seems to not be too tricky. I think it actually identifies it. I've been in ministry for over 25 years. I've worked at a number of different churches with young people and old. And generally, I think something that this passage begins with is something the church really struggles with. Maybe you really struggle with. Let me put it controversially. Christians are not sinners. How do you feel when I say that? Does it make you uncomfortable? Are you shooting sidelong glances at Louie just thinking, why did you invite this guy? Christians are not sinners. That's something I think, in my experience at least, we believe. We think we are sinners, (laughs) but as we work through this passage, we're going to see firstly why Peter would say this is not the case. Christians are not sinners. And then he's going to tell us what difference it will make if we think in this way, if we actually believe it. So as we begin, we're going to spend a fair bit of time there in verse one, where this idea is raised and then a lot more quickly in the sort of rest of the passage. So let me start with halfway through verse one. He says, he wants us to have the same way of thinking. That literally says, I want you to have, I want you to be one-minded, be of like mind, agree on this. What does he want us to agree on? What does he want us to, to think about in the same way? That whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let's put it in a bit of a weird way. So, so let's spend some time thinking about that. He's talking, as as Louis already mentioned, to Christians who were suffering for their faith. So he's saying to these Christians, if you have suffered in the flesh, if you've suffered in your body for being a Christian, consider yourselves as having ceased. From sin. you you can stop sinning. You can say no to sin. How can we how can we stop sinning? Well, the first bit of the verse gives us a hint of where to find the answer. He says, Since therefore Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. The word since there shows that he's drawing a conclusion. He said something and now he's he's sort of bringing a a conclusion out of it. So, So what has he said already? We need to go back to chapter three, passage we looked at last week. Chapter three, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? The answer he's expecting is no one. If you do good, people generally don't harm you for that. That's generally the truth. But specifically, of course, you might be harmed. And so he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for doing what's right, for righteousness sake, you will be blessed by God. Generally, if you do good, People are not going to treat you badly for it, but it can happen and it was happening to these guys. And so he says, consider that God will bless you for that. And he talks about, therefore, how these people, despite suffering, should not give up on doing good. They should keep doing what's right. And the reason he gives is in verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. That's the core of what we believe as Christians. We believe that Jesus lived the perfect life. He always did what was right. He always did what was good in God's sight. But he suffered for it. He was rejected by his own people. He was persecuted. He was mocked and slandered. And ultimately, of course, he was killed for doing what's right. And Peter is saying here, what we believe as Christians is that Jesus suffered, therefore, not for his own sin, because he had none, but he was able to pay for our sins. He died for us. He was the righteous one. We are the unrighteous. He took our sins upon himself and died for them. And as Peter reflects on this in 4 verse 1, he's saying... Jesus really died for sin. Your sin then is really gone. (laughs) It's really paid for. He has really cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And so he says in 4 verse one, consider yourselves as done with sin. Your sin has been taken away The power of sin over you has been broken. Do you believe that? In the Bible, there are often different categories for people. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about the foolish and the simple and the wise. We're probably not heaps comfortable to see ourselves in either category. (laughs) In the Psalms, it talks about the wicked. Well, we don't identify with those, and the righteous. And we sort of know that we fall into that category, but we're probably uncomfortable with that too. Here in Peter's letter, in chapter one, he has said, you have been chosen by God to be in his family. You are the children of our Holy Father. We believe that. But that means we're not sinners anymore. We're not in that category. A sinner is someone who is defined by sin. Sinners, sin. (laughs) That characterises them. That describes what they do. That is not us if we've had our sin taken away by our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he said, we are God's holy people. That's a separate category. You've got sinners and you've got saints. And we're over in this category if Jesus has really taken our sins away and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe it? Or does it still make you a bit uncomfortable? (laughs) In my experience, in the churches I've worked for, people see themselves as sinners. Sin is something we just do but Jesus has broken its power over us. So what would happen then if, in Peter's words, we had this way of thinking? What might happen if the church was one-minded and in agreement that we are done with sin? Well, that's what he explains next. Verse 2. He wants us to have the same way of thinking, for if you've suffered in the flesh... You can cease from sinning so you can live for the rest of the time in the flesh, in your body, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying stop stop doing whatever you want and start doing what God wants. If you, if the church grasps we are done with sin, then we won't just do what we feel like, do what we will, we'll do what God wills. And he goes on to talk about what it will look like first if we stop sinning. Verse 3 and following. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the other nations want to do. If you've sinned in the past, leave it in the past. If you've been forgiven by it and cleansed from it, don't keep going back to doing the same things. And he has a few examples which for the people then really would have characterised the, the, the nations around them, the, the people of the time. And he talks about how sex, drunkenness, drinking parties, overeating and idolatry characterise the people of the time. It strikes me that a lot of those things are true of our time, aren't they? Our world is obsessed by sex. Drinking. We had St. Patrick's Day recently. I don't know much about St. Patrick at all, except apparently it's a day to go out and wear green and drink a lot of alcohol. As I look at the, the people around us, they could be described in this same way. And so I think verse four is also true. With respect to these things, people are surprised when we don't join them in doing the same things and they might speak against us or malign or insult us. Has that ever happened to you? At work. When people go out drinking afterwards on a Friday or, let's be honest, any other day of the week now. Some of the posters, perhaps, or the pictures are up at work. Maybe some of the things that we're called to celebrate Maybe it's even just our neighbours or the people around us. Are they surprised that you don't live your life in the same way? Do they potentially speak against you? Well, Peter says, remember verse 5, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What would happen if we thought in this way, we can stop sinning. We can say no to sin genuinely. If we left it in the past, people would be general, genuinely surprised by how different our lives are. But it also affect the way that we live in light of God's judgment. Verse 7. Starts off a bit ominously, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, That just makes me think of those guys in the sandwich boards, you know, the end is nigh, repent and believe. But there's something in that. Peter said, it's not just people who speak against us as God's people who will be judged, but we're going to be judged too. Does that affect our attitude to sin? If so, he says, here's how it should. Verse two again, live the rest of your time no longer for what you want, but for what God wants. That is the will of God. What is God's will for you and I? It's a question that we're fascinated by, I reckon. We're fascinated by this question. We wanna know what God's will is for us in this particular situation. Whether it's dating, whether it's marriage, whether it's work, whether it's buying a house, whether it's doing this or that, we think what is God's will? Well, it's a lot more general here in Peter's understanding than we might think. He mentions four things. Verse seven, because the end of all things is at hand, judgment is nigh, be controlled and clear-minded. So you can pray. There's God's will. Number one, God wants you to pray. Self-control is something that sort of goes against that way of life that we just looked at that characterizes most people. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. It's God's will that we be in control of ourselves. And also it says sober-minded or clear-minded, we think in a clear way. It's back to our mind shift again. And the reason he gives is so we might pray. Why is prayer here? Well, while it's true to say that the power of sin is broken for us, I think we all know the presence of sin is still a reality. In the words of our Je- of Jesus Christ, in the prayer that he taught us, we know that we can pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can say no to sin, but we know that, of course, we don't always. And I think it's in this sense that Peter says God's will is to pray. Because it's easy to say we're not sinners, <laughs> but gee, it's a hard struggle, isn't it? Not sinning is really tough. I fail at that every day. (laughs) So pray. Pray for yourself. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me for evil. Pray for one another. (laughs) In fact, the word that Peter used back there in verse 1 is to arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. That's because there is a battle going on. (laughs) Last time I was here at your church, uh, if you were here, you might remember. We're looking at the opening of our 1 Peter and there it talks about how God shields us from fiery trials. And so I asked for a volunteer and little Levi put his hand up and he came out and his dad was firing at him, Nerf bullets. And this really uh, stuck in my mind because I remember commenting twice that day just what a great shot his dad was. He just didn't miss. I've subsequently learned that's because he's used to to firearms. Uh, Josh, I believe you grew up on a farm, and so using guns was not an uncommon thing for you. Peter says we need to arm ourselves. We need to be as good shots at sin... (laughs) as Joash was with those Nerf bullets. We need to go to battle against sin. It is a struggle. And so therefore God's will firstly is that we pray. Secondly, and above all it says in verse eight, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He says to love one another, that's not a surprise to hear, that's God's will for us, his people. But again, why is it here? It says, it tells us, because love covers sins. We've got to be careful of what that means. It doesn't mean it covers up sin. As God's people, we need to be quick to confess the presence of sin in our lives. We don't cover it up. We don't pretend like it's not there. In fact, I read a book earlier this year which said Christians should be the most honest and hopeful of all people. We know we sin. It shouldn't be a surprise when we do. My Facebook feed this week is full of headlines about yet another high profile Christian person who has sinned and had to resign. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Sin is still present in our lives. We should be honest about that. We should share it with one another. Let me tell you my struggles with sin. Because they're real. Do we have that level of honesty here? But of course, we should also be hopeful. Let's not forget the second part there. We know that Christ has died to forgive us. And so love needs to not cover up sin, but I would say cover over sin. We need to be as quick to forgive as Jesus is quick to forgive us. That's what he goes on to say also is God's will. We need to pray. We need to be loving. uh, We need to, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That one seems quite a surprise to be there. (laughs) Here's what I think Peter's getting at, and here's what he's got in his mind as he says this. We're better off together. God's people needs to walk together to support one another and comfort one another in times of sin. So open your houses, (laughs) invite people over, have real honest conversations. How are you going (laughs) with the Lord? What can I specifically pray for you? Particularly in Peter's time, the Christians were really struggling. It wouldn't be long before there was state-sanctioned persecution. So spend more time together. (laughs) Support and comfort one another in the struggles of life and of sin. Finally, God's will, verse 10. It literally says, as each has received grace, use grace to serve one another as good stewards of God's Grace. Have you received God's undeserved kindness in washing away your sin? Then extend that undeserved kindness to others as well when they sin. Be quick to forgive, be quick to move on He then gives us two particular examples of how we might be gracious to one another. First one, if you speak, speak as if speaking the very words of God. So your speech should be gracious. And if you serve, sorry, I've got them in the wrong order there. (laughs) You should also be gracious. Now that covers our words and our actions. Be gracious. What would happen if we had this same way of thinking? What would happen if the church honestly believed we are no longer sinners, we can say no to sin? Its power has been broken for us. We live in the freedom of Christ. What would happen if we recognise that we are God's holy children? That is our true identity. We left in the past those sins we formerly committed. We committed to doing what God wants rather than what we want. We're prayerful. We're loving. We're supportive and comforting. We walk with one another and we watch our words and our actions. Here's the beautiful picture that Peter paints. If we have this same way of thinking in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion or power forever and ever. Amen. Imagine if, as a church, we said, I'm done with sin. (laughs) I want to live for Jesus who saved me from it. All glory would go to God, for he provides that strength. So let me pray that that might be the case. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as Peter has taught us, we are your dearly loved children. As our Holy Father, help us then to bear the family likeness. May we be holy as you are holy. Father, help us to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. Help us to see that While sin is still present in our lives, we can leave it in the past. We can move on and turn away from it. We pray that you will equip us so that we might do what you want rather than what we want. And in this, help us to be prayerful, to be loving, to walk with one another as we show hospitality and to extend grace to one another when and if we stumble. We ask this so that all glory might go to you. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like
0: to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.